So why did the people listen? You know, scholars have speculated about a number of reasons. Many have suggested it was Jonah's appearance. You know, if you spend three days in the belly of a whale, those gastric juices can really do a number on you. And he may have been totally bleached out when he finally got out of there. That's possible. Others have speculated that Jonah had friends who had witnessed the whale spitting him out. And they traveled along with him to Nineveh. And they were telling everybody about this miraculous deliverance. That's also possible. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 says that the whale vomited him on the shore. The, the word means to disgorge. It means to upchuck which was probably a pretty spectacular event. Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. It took a long time for Louis Zamperini to forgive, but then Louis had a lot to forgive. Laura Hillebrand tells the story in her bestseller, Unbroken, later made into a movie. Louis was a bombardier for the American Air Corps during World War II. During a search and rescue mission, their plane crashed into the ocean. Only three survivors, Louis and two others, they floated on a life raft for 47 days and until they were taken captive by the Japanese. By that time, Louis and his friends were dehydrated, exhausted, and starving, but their problems were just beginning. For the next two years, Louis was stalked and tormented and beaten by Japanese guards at a prisoner of war camp. But one sergeant topped them all. They called him the bird. When Louis was finally liberated by the Americans and safely back home, the bird continued to visit him every night in his dreams. The only relief Louis experienced was when he imagined murdering his tormentor. This went on for four long years. Louis invented a hundred different ways that he would even the score with the bird. And then evangelist Billy Graham came to town. Louis's wife dragged him to the meetings. One night, Louis fell to his knees and accepted Jesus as his savior. In a single moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation, his helplessness, all of it just fell away. And in its place, all Louis felt was love. First, he was overwhelmed by God's love that rescued him out of the ocean. Then he was overwhelmed by God rescuing him from the prisoner of war camp. And third, he was overwhelmed as God rescued him through the ministry of Billy Graham. Louis became a Christian speaker, traveled all over the U.S. telling his story of salvation through Christ. He was at Grace Church Edina just a few years ago at the age of 96. He established the Victory Boys Camp in California to help troubled youth discover their purpose in life. And then 
in a final act of forgiveness, Louis wrote a letter to the bird telling him that he had met Jesus and that Jesus had changed his life. Louis wrote, love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. Only then did Louis feel a peace he had never felt before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the whole world. Every people group out there. Now that was something the Jews had a hard time with. They could get very possessive of God. And it's, they sort of wanted God all to themselves. But God made it very clear what he intended for them, and they were to be a light to the nations. Just like us, we're to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I, the Lord, will make you to be a light to the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. When Isaiah the prophet was a young man in 760 BC, there was no city on earth in greater darkness than the city of Nineveh. They took evil to a whole new level. Their armies skinned their captives alive. They removed their tongues, gouged out their eyes, mutilated entire cities by driving over people with chariots that had iron spikes on their wheels, and they burned children alive. It's no wonder that the Israelites both feared them and hated them, but God saw them in a different light. In Jonah 4.11, he said to Jonah, Nineveh has more than 100,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That verse is a picture of the love of God that extends to the little ones and their animals. Can you imagine that? This is why God sent Jonah out of love for a heathen city that had a reputation of being barbarians. That verse also tells us that God loves you no matter what you've done. You haven't skinned anybody alive yet, right? But you know what? Even if you have, God's love will still pursue you. This morning I want to show you from Jonah 3 how God reached out to three key people and invited them into a relationship with their creator. Today, friends... God is reaching out to you, and he wants to have that same relationship with you. The first key person is Jonah himself. In chapter 3, we see that God called Jonah, and he obeyed. He's still calling people today. Verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Now, if you go golfing with me, you'll hear a lot about the word mulligan. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the most likely origin of this whole idea of granting a second shot without penalty came from a Canadian golfer named David Mulligan. He uh, supposedly was a nervous wreck after he drove over the St. Lawrence River on a shaky bridge, so his buddies decided he needed a second shot. Another version of the story says that poor David overslipped, overslept and uh, missed his tea time, never got to practice, and so they felt sorry for him and gave him a second shot. Now, when it comes to Jonah, I think he had a pretty good excuse for dodging God's call the first time. The Ninevites were mean. They were nasty. They invented ways of torturing their subjects. Going to preach to them was like Louis Zamperini preaching to the bird while they're still at the prison camp. He would have just laughed at them. Aren't you glad that God gives us a mulligan? Like he did with Abraham in the Bible. Abraham was a devil worshiper living in Babylon, according to Acts chapter 7, when God calls him to go to the promised land. But he didn't obey because Genesis 11 tells us he stopped in Haran, went halfway. Have you ever half obeyed? Your dad asks you to mow the lawn and take out the garbage, you only do one. God calls you to give a certain amount to a particular ministry, you only give half. I know I sure have been guilty of half-hearted obedience, maybe you have too. But thankfully, our God is a patient God. He called Abraham a second time in Genesis 12. This time, Abraham obeyed. Same is true of Moses. In his younger years, Moses killed an Egyptian. Now, according to Acts chapter 7, he was hoping to start an uprising. That was Moses' plan. It wasn't God's plan. Moses ended up fleeing to the desert of Midian. It looked like God was done with Moses until he appears to them, to him, in a burning bush a second time and sent him to have a little talk with Pharaoh. Same is true with Peter. I'm enjoying how the Chosen TV series is portraying Peter. He's such a flawed character. Emotions that change like the wind. You ever feel like that? One moment on fire for God, the next you're in the pits, thinking that God's abandoned you. Luke 22 tells the tragic story of how Peter denied his Lord not once, not twice, three times. Humanly speaking, it was right at the time when Jesus needed him the most. He goes AWOL, wimps out. You can read all about it in John chapter 21 as Jesus restores him because Jesus wasn't done with him yet. You see, all the time God is chiseling Peter molding him, crafting him into a powerful leader. He had been known his whole life as Simon, but Jesus calls him Peter the Rock, God's appointed leader for the early church. 
Aren't you glad that God is a God who offers a mulligan? Now, if you go golfing with me, I'm just warning you, I may ask for more than one. (laughs) I know I'll need it. You know, we often think of Jonah's God as a God of the second chance, but he's actually the God of the 999th chance. Think of God's gracious mercy that extended even to a man named Samson, who was a rascal. Gets himself into one jam after the other. And yet we know he made it to heaven because Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that. Think of Solomon. He made 999 mistakes. That's the number of women he took after he married his wife. But God forgave him over and over again. Think of David, not only had adultery, but killed the guy. And then think of the thief on the cross with the whole list of offenses that were forgiven in the last moments of his life. And then, of course, we have to think of ourselves, don't we? And all that God has forgiven us. Aren't you glad there's more than one mulligan? Today, God is calling us to obedience. Some of us here know exactly what God wants us to do, and we've been delaying and dodging, frittering away our time. Maybe you've been afraid of stepping out. You're thinking of what you'll have to give up, and you're not focusing on what you'll have to gain. You see, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Jesus said, put me first, do what is right first, and I'll see to it that you're not missing out on anything. God called Jonah and he obeyed the second time. Imagine the grief that he would have avoided had he obeyed right away. Three gruesome days inside a smelly fish. Are you ready to obey God today? If you want a deep relationship with the Lord, that's a a great first place to start. When God calls us, we need to be like the prophet Isaiah, who said, here am I, Lord, send me. Now let's move to the second key people that God is reaching out to, and that is the Ninevites. God comforted the Ninevites when they believed. God is a God of comfort. He offers that same comfort to us. Verse 4. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned, and the Ninevites believed God. And they declared a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. A few years ago, we did a driving vacation out to New England. And along the way, we passed through Ithaca, New York, And there on the campus of Cornell University, they were having an outdoor market, so we decided to check it out. 
and in the distance, I could see the town square and there was a street preacher there just preaching up a storm. And so I decided to go walk over there and listen for a few minutes. And he had a great message right out of the Bible, but not a soul was paying him a speck of attention. All around him, people were eating sandwiches. They were casually visiting, milling around, looking at their phones. So when the guy took a breather, I walked over to him and I introduced myself and I said, you know, I really enjoyed your message. But have you ever led anyone to Christ? And sadly, he shook his head. He said occasionally someone would ask him a question. And he said there's always the ones that are heckling him. But other than that, the crowds just plain ignored him. (laughs) But that was not true of the Ninevites. So why did the Ninevites listen to Jonah? And let's face it, he wasn't preaching a real attractive message, right? (laughs) 40 more days and you guys are toast. So why did the people listen? You know, scholars have speculated about a number of reasons. Many have suggested it was Jonah's appearance. You know, if you spend three days in the belly of a whale, those gastric juices can really do a number on you. And he may have been totally bleached out when he finally got out of there. That's possible. Others have speculated that Jonah had friends who had witnessed the whale spitting him out and They traveled along with him to Nineveh and they were telling everybody about this miraculous deliverance. That's also possible. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 says that the whale vomited him on the shore. The, The word means to disgorge. It means to upchuck. Which was probably a pretty spectacular event. You know, we've seen pictures of the whales going on in and they've come out. Can you imagine? Boop, there goes Jonah. (laughs) I'll bet that was something to see. Now, what we do know for sure is that there had been a lot going on in Nineveh right before Jonah got there. In fact, there was a terrible plague that swept through Nineveh in 765 B.C. that was followed by a solar eclipse in 763, which always was a very ominous happening in the ancient world. And then a second plague, almost as bad as the first, that swept through in 759 BC. So they had three big crises in six years. The city was undoubtedly on edge. Sort of like we were all on edge during COVID, right? Or think back a few years. If you're over 30 years old, you likely remember right where you were at during 9-11. Watching those jet planes crash into the Twin Towers and then watching the Twin Towers come down. It was surreal. I was out picking raspberries that day. My wife hollers out. She says, hey, you got to come in and see what's going on in the news. I ran inside And I'll bet almost all of us were watching the news by the time that second plane hit. And if you were like me, you sat there with your jaw wide open. 
an ordinary day and suddenly become an extraordinary day. And over the next few Sundays, the churches were full, and Billy Graham preached a message at the National Cathedral. And as a nation, we turned to God. Twenty years later, when COVID hit, it wasn't quite like that. Our country didn't unite. We divided. In fact, we have seen evil unleashed like never before. At the same time, we've seen people more open to God than ever before. In fact, I've said many times COVID was the best thing that ever happened to our church. It's because you could see, you could see that God was working in in the hearts and lives of people. And as I was mixing around town and stuff, you could see people coming. What do you think's going on, Pastor? This is a crazy world. What's going on? 50 years ago, (laughs) there was another point of division. I remember the middle of the right square in the middle of the sexual revolution. There was another revolution. It was the Jesus Revolution. And I lived through those days. And they were pretty amazing. I was a freshman in high school when 80,000 youth descended on the Cotton Bowl in Texas for a five-day festival of Bible study, worship, witnessing, and serving the needy. Can you imagine that? Out in California, there was a hippie named Greg Laurie who found Jesus. He was the last guy you would expect to be born again. Greg's mom had been married and divorced seven times. He never knew who his father was until he was 40 years old. But God got a hold of his life. And Greg Laurie is still preaching today. He has seen over a half million people go forward to accept Christ at his services. In fact, he wrote the book, Jesus Revolution. It's now been made into a movie. It is an awesome movie. Kelsey Grammer does an astounding job. You see, what God did back then was amazing. In fact, when that whole revival movement finally made its way to central Minnesota, in my little hometown of Motley, I was helping with Youth for Christ at that time. We saw over half of the senior class of 1978 come to Christ. I have never seen anything like that to this day. You could walk down the halls of that high school and never hear a swear word. Can you imagine that? And yet it all pales in comparison to what happened to Nineveh. Nineveh was the largest city in the world at that time. I mean, think New York City, think Tokyo, think London. Probably around 600,000 population. I think it was even more because remember, there were 120,000 little kids who hadn't learned their right hand from their left yet. They heard Jonah's simple preaching which really wasn't much of a message at all. And the Bible says that all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. 
Now, I thought it was amazing when the Promise Keepers movement was doing its thing and they were filling up stadiums across the country, men worshiping Jesus. Even more amazing was seeing 30,000 pastors gathered together at the Georgia Dome. We have never seen anything like that in history. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Pastor Gary Partridge and I were there from every possible denomination. And then in 1997, 1.1 million Christian men gathered on the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. And yet, that's nothing compared to an entire city, without exception, humbling themselves before God. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Instead, he comforted them. He had compassion on them. They chose to believe in Jonah and the message he brought from God. And seeing their belief, he comforted them. Hebrew word means to console, to refresh, to give rest. Does that sound good today? We live in a stressful world, don't we? We face pressures on every side. And Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy hearted, and I will give you rest. Now this brings us to the third key person God is reaching out to, and that is the king himself. God forgave the king when he repented. God offers that forgiveness to each of us today. Verse 6 says, when news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust, and issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know, the first step in true revival is faithful sharing. Sharing God's word. You have to faithfully present the gospel message. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be intellectual. It doesn't have to be eloquent. But it does need to be accurate. And it does need to be true to God's word. You see, I think you can boil the gospel down to eight words. Eight words. God created... Man rebelled. Jesus saves. And we trust. You start with God. He rules and reigns over the universe. He created everything we see in six days, Genesis chapter 1. But mankind rebelled against him. 
Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. A curse fell on the planet, Genesis 3. But God immediately put a plan into place to send his son to reconcile God and man. He came to our earth, lived among us to save us from our sin. He did this by dying on the cross and shedding his blood to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And he invites us to put our trust in him by repenting of our sins, trusting him as our savior and our Lord. Friends, that's the gospel. It's not complicated. We know that Jonah began his message with the words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now my guess is that that is where he started. Undoubtedly, he must have shared more. He likely told them about a great God who rescued him from a whale and that this same God can rescue them from destruction if they turn from their sins and put their trust in him. Now we don't know that for a fact that Jonah preached all that, but we can make an educated guess because we can examine what the king of Nineveh did and how he responded. The first thing the king did was express sorrow for his sins. I want to ask you today, are you sorry for your sins? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You know the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is being sorry you got caught. Your hand's in the cookie jar, and mom walks in, and you say, oh, sorry, mom. But you're really thinking, oh, if I was only here a minute earlier. Godly sorrow is being sorry that you hurt your mom. Imagine if she had invited the neighbors over. She was hoping to serve them cookies for dessert. She only had a few. It would embarrass her if there weren't enough to go around. You hurt your mom because you were thinking only of yourself. Repentance certainly includes genuine sorrow for sin. But it goes beyond that. It leads to a turning from specific sin. For the Ninevites, their signature sin was violence. Do you know we all have a signature sin? Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the sin that so easily besets us. Pastor Denny has a signature sin. You have a signature sin. It's the sin that Satan is sitting there and he's going, he always falls for this one. You know? Violence for the Ninevites. The key to chapter 3 is found right there in verse 8 when the king issued a very specific order, let everyone call on Call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways 
and their violence. For the Ninevites, violence was their middle name. They were bloodthirsty, worse than the Nazis, worse than the bird. The Ninevites not only loved to kill, they loved to torture you before they killed you. But give this, they gave it up. Verse 10 says, they turned from their evil ways. Can I ask you today, are you willing to give up your signature sin? It might be anger. You know, you're just ready to blow at any moment. Might be alcohol. Has a real grip in my whole family system. Might be pornography. It might be greed, never satisfied, always wanting more. It might be laziness. Might be bitterness. Everyone tells you you got a chip on your shoulder, but you kind of like that chip because everybody kind of tiptoes around you. Repentance is not only acknowledging your sin it's being, and not only being sorry for it, it actually means to turn from your sin, to renounce it. You bury it under the blood of Christ. You ask God, help me, Lord, turn from it. Hour by hour, it may be the battle. Hour by hour battle, a day by day battle, a minute by minute battle. Because we are assured that he always offers a way of escape. That's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10, 13. Are you ready to turn from your sin? I close with this. When Louis Zapparini's plane crashed in the South Pacific, as he came to the surface, he was spitting up fuel and blood. Clinging to his life raft, he prayed for one of the first times in his life. He said, God, if I survive this ordeal and I get back to America alive, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Well, Louis did survive the war. And he promptly forgot all about the vow that he had made to God out there in the ocean. And then when he got home, the nightmare started. And one night he dreamed of strangling the bird. And when he woke up, he was strangling his wife. So he started getting drunk, thinking that would help him to forget the war but it only made matters worse. And finally, his wife filed for divorce. Louis was about to lose everything. And friends, that's when his wife dragged him, and it was almost like that, dragged him to hear Billy Graham. And actually, this is in the second movie. It's a, there's, there's two movies. Uh, the first is up to the time he gets out of prison, but then... Uh, the second is his whole conversion story. Both of them are excellent movies. That night as Billy Graham preached, Billy quoted a Bible verse, something, and something happened to Louis that he had never experienced before. His, his entire life passed before him. The good, the bad, the ugly. 
And after the war, it was mostly ugly. And then it happened. For the first time in many years, he remembered the promise that he had made to God out there in the ocean. And that night, Louis committed his life to Christ, and he's never gone back. Gave up alcohol for good, threw his cigarettes away. Most important of all, right there and then, he forgave the bird. And instantly, the hatred just disappeared. And that night was the first night he slept without nightmares. And you know what? He's never had one since. Our God's a good God. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants to walk with you day by day, moment by moment, just as he did with Louis Zamperini for 97 years. You want that kind of relationship today? 